6.10. This is so important. We finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles or tricks of the devil. For Listen carefully. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against microbes and COVID-19 viruses, but we wrestle against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers. This is spiritual forces over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand firm." So if you just agree with me in prayer, uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, both 16, chapter 16 and chapter 17, it talks about the prayer of agreement. Jesus said, if two or more of you agree as anything as touching this earth, it shall be done for you in heaven. So we, we're going to come into agreement on this prayer. Lord, we come to you in prayer today, believing the promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14, that if we humble ourselves pray and turn from our wicked ways, you will hear our prayer and heal our lands. Our community, our nation, and our world are in desperate need of your help, comfort, and healing power. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for turning our hearts away from you and our cry today as we join with the body of Christ around the world, standing together against the COVID-19 crisis. Lord, strengthen our minds and emotions with the truth that you are greater than COVID-19. Your righteousness protects our hearts from despair. Your word enables us to walk through the crisis in peace. Although this is a physical disease, as believers, we know the enemy wants to take advantage of this moment. Together we stand in faith against the powers of darkness in this evil day. We put on the whole armor of God and stand firm on the promises of your word. With your armor, we stand protected from the fiery darts of panic and fear. We take up the shield of faith on behalf of our families, our churches, our cities, our nation, and the nations of the world. The hope of salvation is our battle helmet. We declare the promise in your word that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Therefore, we pray in faith that COVID-19 will be eradicated, panic will stop, and God's power will fill the earth. We humbly ask these things in the powerful name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, amen. Let's continue in prayer. Father, as your word also calls us to do, we come today and we pray for those that are in leadership and authority over our lives, especially in this nation and in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Father, we pray for our president. We're not about whether we agree with him or disagree with him, like him or don't like him. We're doing what your word says. We have a stake right now more than any other time, and making sure that our president, vice president, and that our governors have the wisdom of God to make decisions. We trust that they have our best interests in in heart, and therefore, Father, your anointing is upon them to lead them, and your authority is there to govern. We pray for their safety and their provision. So we pray for President Trump. We pray for Vice President Pence, for strength and wisdom, Father. And we pray for Governor Raimondo and for Governor Baker, Lord, that lead Massachusetts and Rhode Island. They never bargained for this, Father. This is not what they thought when they ran for office. But they find themselves in this place. And they need your help, and they need your wisdom, and they need your strength in order to lead our states through this crisis. 
We pray for the people that you've called around them, to surround them. And we know that there are some, Lord, that are believers that have your Spirit in them. And we continue to thank you and trust you that they give them help and leadership that comes from heaven by the Spirit of the living God. We pray for strength and protection over all of them. And we pray for protection over everyone that's part of this body, over their families. We plead the blood of Jesus over the families of our church. We plead the blood of Jesus over our relatives. We thank you for your protection. We pray for the other pastors and the other churches in this area, that you will give them wisdom and boldness to stand up in this day and to be the church in this hour, for you've called us here for such a time as this. And Father, we pray especially as we look forward to this weekend. This is a special weekend, Father, as we celebrate the incredible victory that you won for us through the death, burial, and especially the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. His victory over death is what makes the church who it is. And so, Father, we pray for this Sunday, for this church and all the others that are meeting in whatever capacity, for the anointing of your, of your Spirit and the power of your Word to go forth over the airwaves and to touch the hearts and lives of people. This is your hour. This is your time. May your church rise up and be strong now. And now, Father, as we turn to our, uh, the reason we're here tonight, which is not just to worship you, but to turn our attention to your Word. Father, we're calling upon you to fill our hearts with hope. Give us vision for a future, Lord, that is the future you have called and ordained for us. For you've said, I know the plans that I have for you. They're not for evil, but they're for good and for an expected end. And so, Father, we claim that tonight for every one of us, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I'm, I, I had in my heart to, uh, to begin tonight a little mini-series, a three-part mini-series. I'm going to trust that it's three parts. And I want to show you the, the basis of it. And uh, I thought originally this might be on for, a, um, for a, a, a sun, the Sunday morning, but I, just, I have a sense it's for right now and for those of you that are, that are coming in on Wednesday night. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is well known as the love chapter. But it really isn't. It, it, it's about love. But, but this chapter is really about the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 14, uh, chapter 12, excuse me, introduces the gifts of the Spirit. And the reason for this is that, is that Paul is writing this letter to this church in Corinth that, uh, that thought they were very spiritual because the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, were flowing in abundance. And yet, as Paul points out to them in the very beginning of the letter, although they thought they were spiritual, they're very carnal, because they're not walking in love. They're walking in envy, jealousy, and strife. There's divisions in the church. So it's not a very spiritual church, but they're operating in these gifts of the Spirit. So Paul uses this as an opportunity to teach what those gifts are, and what their purpose are, and how they operate and that's what chapter 13, or 12 is about. Chapter 14 is about several of the specific gifts. The gift of tongues, the gift of, of, of interpretation of tongues, and the, and the gift of prophecy, and how these are supernatural, and how they're to operate in the context of a church service. That's chapter 12 and chapter 14. But sandwiched in the middle of cha- chapter 12 and chapter 14 is chapter 13. And chapter 13's theme is in essence that if you're operating all the gifts of the Spirit more than anybody else has ever operated, but you're not doing it motivated by love, you completely failed, or as Paul said, it counts as zero. Why? 
because God is love. And the purpose of these gifts are to communicate God to people. And if we're doing the outward signs, but we're not communicating His love to people, we failed. So that's why it addresses the subject of love. But it, towards the end of it, it talks about how these gifts are all going to pass away because there's going to come a time when they're not needed because they're a substitute for the physical presence of God Himself in the body of Jesus Christ. So it ends by saying there's going to come a time when these pass away because when the perfect comes, the imperfect will be needed no longer. Now, there are people that teach that the perfect that was to come is, 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 the, is the Bible, is the Bible as we have it, but, but that can't be because it says we know in part and we hear in part. And, 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 and when the real comes, it says we're not going to know in part anymore. We're going to see him as he is. And that's talking about when Jesus comes. We're not going to need the gifts of the Spirit to tell us that he's here, to tell us what he's like, because we'll see him as he is. But having said that, Paul ends with this statement. And this is what we're going to pick up and look at. Verse 12 and verse 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly. He's talking about spiritual things. In this room right now, there are angels here. We can't see them. There's spiritual truth. There's spiritual reality. And God is a spirit. So the only things we can know about Him are kind of as if we're looking through a... a, a you know when, when you get out of the shower and, and, and your mirror may be all steamed up? You, you can see an image in there, but it's kind of dangerous to shave until you've cleared the fog off the mirror. Well, that's kind of what he's saying. He's saying right now we can sort of see spiritual things dimly, but there's going to come a time when we will see Him face to face. We'll know Him. Now I know in part, because I can only see glimpses of Him, but, but then I will also know as I'm known. And this is leading up to the last verse, verse 13. Now, while we're in this situation, abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. What Paul's saying is there's going to come a time when all of this passes away, and the only thing that's going to remain are these three things. Faith, hope, and love. And the reason I think it's appropriate to look at this now is we're in a time of great shaking. I've referred to this on other occasions, but in Hebrews chapter 12, it says there's going to come a time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that what remains is of God. And, and what this verse tells me is when everything else has passed away, when everything's shaken, these three are the foundation of everything that's spiritual. It all comes down to these three things. Faith, hope, and love. So I kind of look at these as the foundation of our spiritual walk. These are the things we need to have built into our walk with God, our walk with one another, and into our daily spiritual life. But although faith is listed as the first one, we're going to begin to talk tonight about hope. And there's two reasons I want to talk about hope first. The first is, obviously right now, in this difficult time we're going through, people need hope. And we're going to see why in just a few minutes. 
why hope is the first foundation that we need to be sure is laid. Because it's often the one that's overlooked. We're going to talk about faith in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about love. But we often overlook hope and because we don't understand what it is and why it is so crucial and why it is so important. So the first question to ask is, why is hope one of the three foundation principles on which we need to base our spiritual life. Make sure that these are in our lives and make sure that they're maintained in our lives and make sure that they're growing in our lives. Well, number one, hope is vital because hope is what keeps us going when we don't know the future. And to, and to see that, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, one of the, my favorite uh, chapter in the Bible. In fact, if I could only have one chapter, this is the one I would have. And I had memorized most of it in case I ever lost my Bible. But we're going to pick up in verse 23 as there's a transition going on. And Paul writes, uh, he's talked about what what God did for us in Christ. He's talked about the role of the Holy Spirit to help us. And now he talks, begins to talk about the difficult times we're going through, the sufferings that we're going through. And he's talking about going through difficult, challenging times. We need to have a hope that's set before us. So we'll pick up on verse uh, 23. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's having the Holy Spirit in ourselves, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body that's in Christ Jesus. For we were saved in this hope, but the hope that is seen, this is what I want you to see, hope that is seen is not hope. Why do we hope for, why does one still hope for what he sees? So what Paul's saying there is hope is needed when you need to lay hold of something that's out there that you can't see. Because we need to be looking forward. We need to be looking to where we're going. And when we can't see what that is, we need something as a substitute for that. And that is hope. So hope is the motivation that keeps us going when we're tired, when we're discouraged. If you can see the end in sight, if you can see the reward right around the corner, then you don't need hope. You can see the target to get there. But, but, but if you can't see that, you've got to have something that gives you hope along the way. When I was in, in high school, the high school I went to, uh, we all had to take a sport. And uh, I was never very athletically gifted, let's put it that way. And so one of the sports that I figured I could do, because I couldn't do the ones with skill, is I entered uh, the the long-distance track team. Uh, so I ran uh, long-distance races, and, and, and I found out that my role in that team was to make sure nobody else came in last. Some of you will get that later on. So I always came in last. I just was not very fast. But I learned something that when you're running a long-distance race, that, that you can't see the end. If you're the 100-yard dash, you're looking up. You can see the end in sight. So you know to give everything you've got to get to that because you can see the finish line. 
But when you're running a, a cross-country race, and it may be, I don't know, five miles or something like that, and it's uphill and it's downhill and it's over corner, round corners, you can't see that. So you need things along the way to encourage you to keep going and that you can make it. So there are teammates out there that are encouraging you. There may be spectators that are rooting for you and encourage you. There may be signposts along the way to say, you've only got so far to go. That gives you hope that the end is close, that you can see it. So hope provides an essential motivation to keep on going in a long-term race where there's endurance involved. And life is certainly a long-term race, and endurance is certainly a necessary thing. And we'll talk a little bit about that in another, in another couple of minutes. So, the second thing is that we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. But it starts out with this verse. We'll talk about this when we talk about faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now we'll get into this when we get into faith. But this chapter follows chapter 10. And the writer of Hebrews didn't write it in chapters and verses. It was one, one long letter. But what chapter 10 ends with is an encouragement to endure and to not quit, to not throw away your confidence because it has a great reward that's attached to it. So he's talking about endurance and finishing your race. He's talking about going to the end of your walk as a Christian, going to the end and finishing what God put you here to do. And as he comes to the end of that, he talks about a warning about not pulling back and about not giving up. And now he's going to move on to the things that will help us finish our race and finish it strong. So chapter 11 starts with this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So as I said a few minutes ago, we all know faith is important, and if you don't, in a couple of weeks, we'll show you that. We all know love is important, because we need to love one another, God is love. But how did, why did hope fit in there? Look at what this verse says, and people don't often see this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith gives substance to things that are hoped for. So if you don't have a hope out there, there's nothing for your faith to give substance to. Faith, the word substance, means tangibility. It means something I can hold on to so that I know it's mine. And faith gives that to things you hope for. So if you're not hoping for something, your faith has nothing to operate towards, has nothing to grab hold of. Now let me give you an example of how faith and hope connect together. You've all got, a, hopefully, a heating system in your home and maybe you have air conditioning systems. So on a cool night or a cool day, you get up in the morning and you sense it's, it's cool. So where do you go? Unless you have one like I do that's programmable, you go to your thermostat and you turn it to the temperature that you want. So in my home, our temperature during the night goes down to 65 so we can sleep and we're not wasting heat and I, we both sleep better when it's a little cool. But we get up in the morning, it's cold, so that what we'll do is we'll turn the thermostat, it's set at 65, so what, the thermostat is programmed to move up to 70. Now the moment that thermostat moves up to 70, 
the temperature in that house is not 70, it's still 65. Because that thermostat can't change anything. The thermostat is connected to our furnace in the basement. And what the thermostat does is the thermostat tells the furnace where we want the room temperature to be. And so when the thermostat gets the signal, whoop, wait a minute, the temperature in the room is below what they wanted, this thermostat signals the, the furnace to turn on and to bring the heat up until the thermostat tells us we've reached the goal, turn it off. So the thermostat does not have the power to change the heat in our house, the furnace does. On the other hand, the furnace in the basement will do us no good if we don't have a thermostat to tell us where the, where the, where the heat is to, is to rise to. So hope is essential in the operating of faith. So that's the second reason. So let's begin to talk about what hope is. Because in our normal culture, in the normal vernacular that we use in everyday language, we use hope in a very different sense than it is in the Bible. We, we talk about, when we mean, say, hope, we, what we really mean is, I wish. So I, 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 I hope the sun's going to be out on, on, uh, on Sunday, on Easter. So I, what I'm saying is, it's my sincere desire, but there's no power in that. It's just, I'm hoping that, I'm, I'm, I'm wishing that, I, I, I really hope it's going to happen. But the word hope in the New Testament is the Greek word elpsis, E-L-P-S-I-S. And its meaning is a joyful, confident expectation of something good. It's a confident expectation, not I hope so, it's I hope so. I can see it. I can taste it. I want it so much I can reach out and grab it. So there's a confidence in biblical hope. And it's not just a confidence, it's a confidence of something good. As Oral Roberts used to say, something good is going to happen to you today. Well, he didn't just say that to say it. He really believed that because he was a man of great hope, and that's why he was a man of great faith also. So it's a confident expectation of something good. It's always in the future. We'll learn when we talk about faith. Faith is now, and hope is often in the future. And they're often mixed up. Sometimes, often people think they're in faith when they're really hoping something. And we'll teach you that distinction when we get to faith. So what is faith in a practical sense? I look at it this way, and this wasn't original with me. Faith is a positive imagination of something good. Our imaginations, and this is really what we're going to talk about tonight, is our imaginations. Because hope is an imagination. Your mind is picturing things all the time. When you have dreams, you're picturing things. If you ever wake up from a nightmare or you wake up from some wonderful dream, but suppose you're, you're having a dream and you're, uh, uh, you're falling off a cliff or you're uh, on, a, on a roller coaster and you're scared of roller coasters or some, some bad person's about to get you and you wake up and you're, you're sweating and, you're, and your heart's beating fast and, and you maybe have your pillow strangling with your hand or something like that. You're really living this and you never left your bed. There was nobody bad there. there was, you weren't on a roller coaster. You weren't falling off a cliff. But it was so real to you because the, your mind was vividly 
picturing this. It was so real to you, your body was reacting to it. That's how powerful your imagination is. And God gave you an imagination. It's the capacity to dream. It's the capacity to have vision. It's the capacity to look forward to the future so you've got something to attach your faith to. And God uses it. It says in the, old, in, the, in the latter days, in the end days, old men will dream dreams and young men will bring vision, have visions. So it's looking to the, it's being able to picture and imagine things. And that's what hope is. And you use it all the time. You use it all the time. If I say to you, apple, you do not immediately think of A-P-P-L-E. Your mind envisions something round, whether it's red or whether it's yellow, it's a picture in your mind that you get somewhere. When we're looking towards going to an event or something, we begin to picture what that's going to be like in our mind. It can happen so quickly you don't realize what you're doing. But here's the thing. That can either be positive or it can be negative. Your mind will develop images of whatever you put in it, whether you intentionally put something in it or you allow somebody else to put it in there, images are being formed in your mind all the time and you will react to the images that you see. And I'll give you uh, some examples of that as we get further into this. So, hope is a positive imagination. It's picturing something good happening in the future. And it's based on something that's pointing towards that future that's reliable. Now we all are masters of the opposite of that, and it's called worry. And this is especially clear in the day and the time we're living in right now. Because we're watching, and I hope you're not watching it a whole lot, But if you watch the news very often, you're getting images of what's happening. And those images have a powerful effect on us. And I, I, maybe it's my background as a lawyer because I'm trained in critical thinking. That doesn't mean I criticize things. It means I think through carefully what I'm hearing and what I'm watching. Why is this what they're showing me? And realize this, that when you get a news flash, when you get something on your on your computer or your phone or your, or your iPad that's a news flash, they're showing you pictures. And it may be one picture out of hundreds of pictures that they've chosen to show you, but that picture that they're showing you communicates a message to you. And these are pictures, by and large, of you'll see pictures, and I, I remember looking at some of these, where they're showing people being transported into a hospital or from one hospital to another in these, in these bubbles that go around a gurney and you've got people transporting them. They're wearing white suits with masks and they look like they're from outer space. And it communicates a message to us of fear and of urgency. And then we see death certificates, I'm sorry, death statistics. And we see all these statistics and, and usually what we're seeing is statistics that are, are negative, not the statistics of how many people are recovering. So you'll get a statistic of these many people died yesterday, but they don't show you how many people recovered that got it. And that's part of the picture, but when you're only being shown a small part of it, that in our mind begins to grow in our mind. 
Because the human mind is designed by God to try to find meaning out of whatever gets into it. I used to use this, I, I t- teach a course uh, I've taught here on and off for years and in the school we used to have here called Renewing the Mind and I would break down how the mind works, not in a scientific way but in a practical way. And one of the examples I would use when I talked about imagination and when I talked about images is when, when our kids were small, and I don't think when I was a child, but, but our kids are small, there was an exercise book we could get called uh, Connect the Dots. And each page was a picture of something like a duck or a turtle or something like that. And all you would have is you would have a series of dots that had numbers next to them. And the exercise for the child was you would take a pencil and you would go from dot one to dot two to dot three to dot four to dot five to dot six to dot seven to dot eight to dot nine to dot... And, and gradually you realized you were outlining a bunny rabbit or you were outlining a turtle and you formed that image by connecting dots together in the order that the artist or whoever designed that picture planned so that somebody like me who can't draw could actually draw a duck or a turtle. And that's how our, our mind tries to find meaning in anything. So if our mind is not told what the image is, your mind will try to find the image and find the meaning by connecting dots. So here's the point. You don't just see a picture of a gurney of a patient in a gurney with a bubble around him and just see that and nothing goes on in your mind, that begins to create a message in your mind. And one or two of these may not matter a lot, but you're getting these all the time. And I'll, I'll give you an example of why this thing so clear to me the other day. And this was early on when this pandemic was becoming very real to where we are now. I don't remember quite what it was. I, I, I know. I began to... Uh, uh, I began to, to develop a cough. And I knew it wasn't a, a cough because I had a cold or a cough. It was like an allergy drip. I knew that's what it was. But, but I kept hearing these reports. Well, here's are the symptoms if you start getting these symptoms. And, and the more I thought about it, I literally began to get these images of myself in a hospital on a respirator. And it, it happened very quickly my mind was connecting those kinds of dots together because I've done that kind of thing before. So that pattern, that track was already in my mind. And my point was I was beginning to form an image of me that was not hopeful, an image of me that was create fear and panic in me. And when I realized what I was doing, I was able to stop it and realize, well, wait a minute, John, you're, you're forming an image you're cooperating with the devil to form it, because the devil needs to form images in you too. Because he wants to plant fear in your heart, just like God wants to put faith in your heart. The devil wants to put fear in your heart, but to do that, you've got to begin to see a disastrous or a negative outcome, even though there's no evidence that that's what's going to happen. And he uses that, and if, you don't, if you're not aware of that, those things can go on in you, and you don't realize why you're in such a panic, why you're so afraid, why you're so discouraged. Discouragement's like that. Discouragement is nothing more than a series of thoughts that you've led in your mind that begin to paint a picture towards the future. And it's not a good picture. It's a bad picture. 
Well, hope is the opposite of that. Hope is a positive imagination or an imagination and images in your mind that are formed in there of a positive outcome or a positive result because now you begin to get hope build up in you and that hope begins to set your sail, set your thermostat, set your goal for a positive direction that your faith can come along and help you arrive at. So that's why this is so important to talk about tonight. Talk about tonight. All right. Images motivate us. They have a very powerful effect on us. The the society we live in right now is so influenced by images. Back when I was growing up, by the way, we we did have a television when I was five years old. I'm not that old, although the screen was about five inches big. But, but most of the times we got information through newspapers and through radio. So we had to use our own imaginations to, of what this was like. But nowadays you don't need to use your own imagination. People will show you images and then tell you what they mean. But they're planting these images in us. So images are so important. The, uh, hope is so important. God uses it. Uh, Back in Genesis 15, we're not going to turn there, but when God, we talked about this on Sunday, when God called Abraham to enter into a covenant with him, God started by making a promise to him. And he said, I will be your shield and I will be your reward. And Abram's answer to him was, how do I know this since I don't even have a child and the one born in my household is not even my heir? And, and, and God said, no, that one's not going to be your heir. One's going to come forth from your body and from your wife's body. That one was going to be your heir. And, and Abraham says, how do I know this? And God's answer was to take him outside and have him look up at the stars. Now, in our area around here, we can see a few stars. But I've been, we have a, a, when I was in college, my roommate and I drove across the country and we drove across the desert out in Arizona, uh, or a part of it, uh, at nighttime. And we pulled over once to just look up at the stars. There was no ambient light around. We're looking up at the stars and it was filled with all these stars. And that's what God did to Abraham. Abraham's saying, I'm having trouble believing you for one child. And God says, I want to show you the vision that I have. I want you to have a big, big vision, a big dream of what I want to do through you. And he said, see these stars? That's the number of your descendants. So God thinks in big terms. And God was trying to get Abraham to expand his vision and have an image and a hope of something bigger than what was right in front of him at the moment. We're going to turn now and look at Genesis chapter 11 and we're going to see the opposite of this. This is back way before Abraham. And this is, there's a lot of things we can teach out of this, but there's one principle that I want to show you. Genesis 11, when I can turn a page here. Verse 5. Now what's happened is, this is the story of the Tower of Babel. And, and this is talking about a, a society got together and they decided that they were going to build their own tower up to heaven. And the significance of this is they weren't going to let God do this. They were going to build their own way to get to God. And there are a number of things we could teach about this. But, but the, verse 5 says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, 
the people are one. They all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now look at this. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. The word propose there, they propose to do, is one of the meanings of that is imagine. So God is saying this, I've got to do something because they're planning to do something that I have not ordained them to do. They're going to build their own city. They're going to build their own way and they're going to do it by their own strength. And because they're of unity and they're all speaking the same thing, whatever they imagine to do, they will be able to do it. So God had to break up their method of communicating so he could destroy the image, the imagination, the hope that they had. In this case, it was a negative one. It was, a neg- it was an, a, an imagination that was contrary to what God wanted. In Genesis 15, we just looked at with Abraham, it was an imagination that God wanted him to have. We will begin to speak, and this is another reason that what you're, you're, what you're hoping for is important you will begin to speak whatever you're imagining. Whatever the picture is that's formed in you, you will begin to speak out. And as we've learned before, we're going to learn again. There is tremendous power in your words. This is why God in Genesis 11 said, I've got to break up their communication because they're saying the same thing and they're imagining something in between. Saying it together and imagining it, it won't be restrained from them. So there's power in our words. There's power in our imagination. And God is saying that, that whatever you imagine and you will begin to speak forth and you will begin to call it into existence. Satan understands this. This is why he's trying to plant in your mind negative imaginations. Take your hope away from you. Take your hope and give you a false hope. And that's not a false hope that something good's going to happen. It's a negative hope of destruction, that you're going to die, that you're not going to make it, that your loved ones aren't going to make it. You're going to run out of money. We're going to collapse. The economy's going to collapse. And all these things are going to happen. People are panicking now when almost none of that's happened. I know there are people dying. I know there are people out of jobs. But the world hasn't fallen apart. God hasn't fallen off His throne. The churches are still meeting, not physically here. God's Word's still going forth. God's still on His throne. Jesus is still Lord. And God's plans are still the same. They haven't changed. God was not taken off guard by this. So we've got to... Satan understands this process so well. He knows he's got to plant in your mind and in my mind the images that he wants so that he can foster fear behind it because fear in our heart connected with a fearful image will begin to produce results in your life that are not good. And we'll talk about that a little more next time. So Satan agrees, understands this process because he knows the power of our imaginations. Now here's the point of this. We have the choice of what our imaginations are going to be. We have that choice. And the way you choose that is by the thoughts that you let get into your mind. You not only have the power to control the thoughts in your mind, you have the responsibility to control the thoughts that go into your mind. You wouldn't let just anybody come up to your, especially now with this. 
Somebody knocks on your door, rings your doorbell, you open that door and there's somebody standing there in a brown uniform with no mask on, no gloves on, and they just hand you a package. You don't know where it's come from. Nowadays, people aren't going to pick it up and carry it in their house. They don't know who's touched that, where it's come from. We're very cautious now. And in this situation, we need to be cautious. We're cautious about who we talk to. We're cautious about what we pick up with our hands. We're cautious about things because we're cautious. We don't want to let this little tiny virus into our body through our mouth, our nose, or our eyes, which is the avenue it gets in. So we're very cautious about the things we touch, but we don't put any caution about what we allow into our minds. And I guarantee you, what gets into your mind can be far more deadly than what gets into your, into your body because it can have an eternal effect on you, whereas any disease getting your body can only have a temporary effect on you. So we have a responsibility to not only guard what gets into our mind, but to affirmatively choose what we're going to put in our mind. This is why Proverbs 4, verse, 20, uh, 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence. That's not just vain words in the Bible. God's warning us, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because what gets into your mind goes into your heart. This is why the verses before say, my son, attend to my word. Not CNN, not Fox News, not your neighbor's gossip, not what's on showing up on your, on your daily uh, 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 news flash that's on your phone. Attend to my Word. You can look at the others to know what's going on, but what are you attending to? What is your focus on? What are you looking at? What are you intentionally putting into your mind? What are you meditating on? Because nowadays, if you're not intentionally meditating on the right things, on God's Word, then you're going to be meditating because all around us is bad news. And it's not just news now. They're not just talking about how many people died today, how many people have it. There's now projections about what this is going to go to. And almost none of them are good. So the projections are to form a future imagination. There's no hope in that. There's despair in that. But God's Word is full of hope. God's Word is full of promises that are hope. I know the plans I have for you, God says. I know my plans for you. And it's not for evil, but it's good and it's for a good end. That's God's plan for you. Psalm 91 Psalm 23, I keep saying these over and over again. If you know no other scriptures, meditate on those. Go over them when you get up in the morning. Go over them when you go to bed. If you were prescribed by a doctor to take a pill three times a day, you would set an alarm on your watch if you had to, to remind you to take that pill. And that pill only has a temporary value to you. But this word is what will get you through this time victorious. This word is what will give you hope. This word, because it's anointed by God to do this. It's anointed by God to put hope in your heart. It's anointed by God to strengthen you and to get you through, to persevere and to get through to the end of your walk. Because I've said this before, You're not here by accident at this time. We're privileged to be assigned by God to be here at this time because there's things God wants to do in the world through the church right now. And if you're a Christian, you're the church just like I'm the church. Not this building, but the church is the believers in Christ Jesus. It's His body. 
And we have a God-ordained purpose for this time. But if we're all caught up in fear, and we're all caught up in despair, and we're running around saying the sky is falling, we're not going to make it, then we're of no value to God at this time. In fact, we become just the opposite. We become a liability because we start influencing other people. I want to warn you of something. I've said this before. I call it Christian gossip. Gossip is a sin because it's spreading something. It's passing on information that's not coming from God. And when we just pass on the latest thing we've seen on on Facebook, the latest post we see, or even when we're passing on the latest news, oh my gosh, do you see how many people died yesterday? Think about what effect those words are going to have on the person you're speaking to or the person that that you're posting this and they're going to see this. We have a responsibility for how we influence other people. That's why Jesus said, your words, we're going to get judged for our words. Not something to be afraid of, but every word we speak, because every word we speak has my words. I've been praying even more so. God, guard my mouth, because right now, more than any other time, I believe there's a weight to my words, not because I'm smarter, not because I'm more spiritual than I've ever been before, but because God wants to speak in this day and age. And so I have to be very careful that the words that I speak, especially through a media like this, are His words that He wants us to hear. But you have that same responsibility. So when we just blurt out whatever the last thing we've heard is, that's gossip, and it can be destructive. So be aware, but not only that, not only do other people hear those words, you hear those words. And, he, and Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So faith and fear to you come by what you hear, and the person you listen to more than anyone else is yourself. So what are you saying? What are you saying to yourself? What are you saying that yourself is hearing that you're saying to other people? Are you spreading good news? Are you spreading encouragement? Because when you give encouragement to other people, you'll be encouraged. And so I just want to uh, uh, encourage you in that. I want to admonish you to do that. And I'm not mad at anybody, but there's an urgency in my spirit about this. It's so critical that we watch what we say. The, 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 the psalmist said, God, put a guard over my mouth. Put a guard over my mouth. Well, if you keep putting the word in and speak the word, that will become a guard over your mouth. Now, let's end by going to Hebrews chapter 6. So what is the hope that we have? What is the hope that we have? Well, the, the major hope we have are the promises that God's made to us. There's a hope we have because God's promised us in Psalm 91 with long life. We have a hope we have in Psalm 23. And I use those because they're the most familiar to people. There's a hope in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for God's with me. God with you gives you a hope that you're not alone. So there is hope from the Word of God. But there's an ultimate hope that the Bible gives us. And the writer of Hebrews, we started with Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews he gives this encouragement to them to, to continue on. And we're going to read in verse 11 and 12, and then we're going to move a little bit forward. We desire that each one of you... He, this was written to Jewish believers at a time of terrible persecution. Satan in the very beginning 
of the church in the early first century decided he was going to destroy the church by persecution, not only by the Roman government, but also by the, by the Jewish authorities. And so what happened is, when they, the church was persecuted, it drove them out of Jerusalem, so that only the church fathers essentially stayed in Jerusalem. And Satan's thought that by device, dispersing them, he was going to break the church up. Instead, what happened is he spread the gospel through most of the known world at the time. It's like trying to put out a, a, a gasoline fire by pouring water on it. You don't put it out. All you do is you spread it. Well, that's kind of like what we're going through today. I believe this virus, in, in, at least in part, is an effort, Satan, to divide the church right at a point when the Word of God says that, that we are to, to not forsake our assembling together, even all the more as we see the day of His return approaching. And so uh, Satan's scheme was to divide us so we can't greet one another. We can't encourage one another. But what's happening is more people are hearing the gospel. More people are engaged because now they have no other choice. More people are getting committed to hear the gospel because it's as if it was being taken away from them. So it's backfiring on him. So this letter was written to Jewish believers who had been dispersed out of Jerusalem and that because they were away from the mother church and because they were not in contact with one another the way we can do something like this they were beginning to drift back to their old practices that they had under the law so the writer of Hebrews is doing this to encourage them to hold on to the faith and to finish their course with patience and to do this he's trying to remind them of the hope that's set before them to encourage them to be patient to go through what they were going through. So with that as background, we're going to look at verses 11 and 12 and then go to verse 17. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That is so full, that's so pregnant with meaning. He's saying the way you'll have diligence is to have you have a full assurance And the way you're going to have a full assurance is if you have hope all the way up to the end. So hope is what keeps us having patience and and that gives us an assurance that we're going to have a positive end to this journey, that we're going to make it. Verse 12, and that you do not become sluggish. So without a hope, we begin to get lazy. Without a hope, we forget why we're doing what we're doing. Without a hope, we get casual about things. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now let's go down to verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness or the immutability of His counsel. We talked about this on Sunday when we talked about God as a God of covenant. And God entered into a covenant with man because man needed to know that they could trust God's promises, that they were the truth. And so God not just promised these things, but He made a covenant with man. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is referring to. God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeableness of his counsel confirmed it with an oath that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it's impossible to lie we might have strong consolation or encouragement who have fled for refuge to lay hope of the hope that is before us now their threat was a different threat 
Their threat was of pers- death through persecution. Our threat is through this disease and through this virus and through the fears that are attached to it. But we can also cling to the consolation that God gives us in His Word, that God hasn't left us, He has never forsaken us, that God has made promises to us, promises first of all to heal us, promises to provide for us. God is right there in the middle of you and there's a consolation in that that will hold us steady and give us a hope to the future. But the hope He's talking about is not just the hope of this life. Who lay hold of the hope that's set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. What he's saying is the ultimate hope we have is that Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the head of the church, has already gone before us into the presence of God to make a place for us, to make a way for us. In John chapter 14, when Jesus is preparing to leave His disciples and go to the cross and die and be raised from the dead, once they begin to realize He's literally going to leave them, fear begins to grip them. They're discouraged. They've lost their hope because He was their hope. And He makes a promise to them, Don't you know I'd never leave you or forsake you? But I go to prepare a place for you, and you're not orphans. I will come back to get you. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That is ultimately what our hope is based on. Suppose the worst that can happen, what's the worst that can happen in this? The worst that can happen is you or somebody you love and care for gets this disease and becomes one of the statistics and die. We obviously don't want that to happen. God doesn't want that to happen. He wants you to finish your course. He wants you to finish what He's put you here to do. But let's suppose the worst thing happens. You close your eyes here and you open your eyes in His presence. And everyone I've ever met, everyone I've ever read, and I was just hearing somebody else's testimony last night, that has ever gotten a glimpse of heaven, never wanted to come back here. Why? Because what they saw in heaven, what they saw of Him, was so infinitely glorious beyond what's here, even their loved ones here. That I, I know of a story of somebody that, was, that died on an operating table. And the family heard he died. And they called his spirit back into his body. And he woke up. And the first thing he said when he woke up was not, Oh, it's so good to see you. He got mad at them and said, Why did you do that? I was listening to the testimony of Pastor Robert Morris. And we've used him here to teach some things by video. Pastor of the great church, of Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas, with I think five or six campuses. Several years ago, uh, he almost died as a result of, of, a, of a rupture of an artery in his, in his body. And, 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 and he got a glimpse of heaven. He's one of these. And, and for months after he, after he came back, and for months after he recovered from that, his testimony is he had to deal with being angry at God for sending him back. Now it's hard for you and me to relate to that because to us death is, it can be a scary thing because it's unknown. I've known of two people that did die and did go to heaven, personally. And both of them had the same testimony. After they'd seen heaven, it was impossible for them to fear. Why? Because what's the first thing, worst thing can happen? They're going to be in His presence. And so the writer of Hebrews says, that confidence, that hope we have of our future 
provides an anchor to our soul. What does an anchor do? An anchor is what holds the boat steady when the tide's coming in and going out, when the, when the, when the currents move it around. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've raised around boats my life. And when you're anchored, the boat will move around, but it's not going anywhere because the anchor is firmly embedded in the bottom of the, of the ocean or the bottom of the river. And that's what our hope is. Our hope in our, our joining the one that's gone before us gives an anchor, a security to our soul. Isn't it interesting that the, that the, the crest of Rhode Island, the motto of Rhode Island is hope, and the, and the symbol is an anchor. And I've got to believe that it comes from this. So here's the points today. That hope is just as important as faith and love. And the starting point is to see, do, do you have hope tonight? Are you filled with hope for your future? Hope for your family? Or are you discouraged? Or are you weighed down? Because Satan wants to steal your hope. Because if he can steal your hope, your faith has nothing to latch on to and you lose the power that God's invested in you and wants to use through you. So Satan wants to steal your hope. But the good news is you can control whether you have hope or not because hope is a positive imagination and you control what you're imagining by what you put in. But you've got to make a decision that you're going to be purposefully and intentionally put in thoughts that will build up images of a hopeful future. And the, only, the best way to do that, the most assured way to do it, is to take God's promises and begin to build those as, as daily medicine thoughts, not just to read it, but to meditate on it. The same thing you would do if you're worrying, do that with God's Word, because that's what will build up these positive imaginations, to be intentional with it, and then share it with other people. Share your hope with other people. Share your good news with other people. Be encouragers, because as you encourage them, you will encourage yourself. And though we can't meet together here and shake one another's hands and hug one another, we can call one another. We can email one another. We can text one another. We can post encouraging things on social media. We can flood social media with good images and good news. And we can drive the effort to take hope away from us out because we can control what goes out there. And we can control what gets in us. And we have that responsibility. I want to pray for you in just a minute. But before I do, I want, to, I want to, if you're out there and you're watching this tonight and you don't have hope, you've lost your hope, or maybe you've never had hope, you're put, or you put your hope in the wrong things. You put your hope in, in, the, in the medical community and they're doing the very best they can. They're exposing themselves to this thing. They're trying their hardest, but it shows that on our own, apart from God, we're very limited in what we can do. If you put your hope in the government to provide for you, the government's scrambling to be able to do its very best. If you put your hope in your job, maybe you've lost your job. If you put your hope in anything other than God and His Word, that's in danger now and that can be threatened. So I want to pray for you. I want to help you let go of that. And I want to help you embrace this hope. And ultimately, the most important one is, maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior. Because without Him, there is no hope. 
In the book of Ephesians, the writer Paul talks to the church at Ephesus and talks about those people who are outside God's family. They say are, they are in this world without hope in this world. Because why? They're without Christ. Christ is the only hope of this world. He is the only hope. Because only Christ has overcome death. And this is what we celebrate this Sunday. Christ has defeated death. Because if you're in Christ, you'll never die. You have everlasting life. But if you're not in Him, there's a death that's awaiting you. Not just your physical death, but there's a spiritual death awaiting you. So the only hope that lasts, the only hope that's eternal, is to be in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. So if that's you, you've never done that. Or maybe you've done that and you've drifted away from Him. I want to pray with you right now. And I'm going to lead you in the very...